0: I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. We'll give our attention this evening to verses 19 to 26. Proverbs chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. We'll go through verse 26. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and an adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence, and he will keep your foot from being... Caught. This is God's word. Let us pray and ask that the Lord would bless the reading and especially the preaching of his word. Our gracious God and Father, we do thank you that you uh, illuminate the path that we are to walk. As we come before you this evening seeking the guidance of your Son, we pray that you would fill us with all the wisdom and insight of those treasures that are found uh, in the word uh, that you have spoken to us by the word of your Son. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, when I was a kid, there was uh, one of my favorite uh, sets of toys to play with were Lincoln Logs. I think it might, in fact, be better to say one of my favorite toy sets to play with was the idea of Lincoln Logs. I think the same was true with Legos. I am not a particularly creative person. You'd look at the picture on the box, you think, "Oh, that's great. Let me start putting it together." And I think the most creative thing I ever put together was a giant brick wall. And I look at this on my own and I think, how, how do these people make it? I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get these collected pieces that are lying scattered on the ground to make it look like this castle or this race car or whatever it is, this log cabin that you have set before you. Of course, I think one of my own problems, my utter lack of creativity, I don't know how to put things together. I remember taking the ASVAB when I was in high school, you know, the aptitude test to get into the military. I think I scored a four on the mechanics section, uh, I, and that's a four out of a hundred. You know, I think I was able to identify what a wrench was, but that was the extent of my mechanical knowledge. But I do think there's a more foundational problem that befalls so many of us, myself included. I never bothered to look at the instructions. Never bothered ask asking anyone how to do it. Right? So many of us uh, serve in one form of profession or another, or have a particular skill set that has taken years to hone. I want you to imagine uh, going to uh, uh, apply for a job at a, a local, you know, architectural department, and you sit down and they say, ah, so you want to be an architect. What kind of architectural experience do you have? And you go, well, I really like to look at buildings. I live inside of one, it's fun. I also like money, please give me a job. What type of answer do you think you're going to get from that particular employment? No, you go to a particular school, you learn a particular trade. These skills that you learn are not always intuitive. They must be acquired through long nights of study, through many hours of repetition and labor and sitting under the tutelage of another. Only then can you ever hope to become a master builder. Well, if the same is true for uh, all of these uh, trades, be it carpentry or plumbing or even architecture, how much uh, more true is it when it comes to the well-ordered life? We read this all throughout Scripture. You think of Paul as he writes to 1 Timothy. What are the women supposed to do even in the context of the church? The older women are to train the younger women, telling them the things that they are to do to be good stewards in the particular vocation and place that they have been given. I think so many of us try to go about quote-unquote doing life much the same way I try going about to build a Lego set or a log cabin with Lincoln Logs. We just roll with it. We hope that the muses will sing, lightning will strike, the epiphany will come, and the work will instantly be done without any type of effort or wisdom. But what all of us know is that wisdom is not intuitive. It has to be learned from another. And Scripture this evening beckons us to appropriate wisdom as we sit at the feet of the master builder, the Lord himself. I'd like us to consider this passage in two particular phases. First, we'll consider that of the divine architect, we'll see in verses 19 and 20. And then, secondly, the human apprentice in verses 21 to 26. So, the divine architect, verses 19 to 20, and the human apprentice, verses 21 to 26. We see here in verses 19 and 20, the, uh, Solomon, under inspiration of the Spirit, describes the Lord as a divine architect. He's going to elaborate this on this more fully in chapter 8, but this is a metaphor, this is a descriptor that is not unique to the book of Proverbs. It's easy to miss, but you'll see this even in the first chapter of Genesis. You'll see it all throughout the Psalms and Isaiah and many other places that uh, the Lord uh, uh, builds, uh, he constructs, uh, um, how should I put this? Uh, The the creation week itself is described as a massive architectural enterprise. Of course, the Lord doesn't use pre-existing materials. It's not like the Lord has to go to, you know, cosmic Home Depot to get stuff to make the sea or the mountains. He simply speaks and calls uh, the material, the, the, the world into existence. But after he speaks, Genesis 1 verse 2, what do we find? That the earth is formless and void. And so over the next six days, the Lord begins to give shape to the heavens and the earth. He begins by separating the light and the darkness, the night and the day. He separates the waters above and the waters below. He puts in place, uh, the, the, the DSV calls it the expanse, uh, literally in the Hebrew it is a vault, a ceiling that is, as it were, put in place in the sky to keep the great deluge of water from falling. He separates the seas and the dry land. He causes the vegetation to sprout. The very first three days of the creation week is a carving out of particular domains within the created order, the sky, the earth, and the sea. The last three days, it is the fulfilling of those particular domains. He fills the sky with the birds of the air, he, uh, with the, the sun and the moon and the stars to rule over the sky. He uh, fills the seas uh, with the fish and the sea monsters of the deep. And he populates the land with the cattle and, of course, the pinnacle of creation on day six, man who is to rule as God's vice-regent There is order, there is beauty, everything is put in place. You read Psalm chapter 78, and the psalmist describes the whole earth as a cosmic temple, as it were. Psalm 78 The Lord built his sanctuary just like the high heavens, and just like the earth which he has founded forever. Psalm 104 recounts the beauty of God's creative power, praising the Lord as the architect of beauty and of order. He causes the springs to gush from the deep, to quench the thirst of tired beasts. He gives a home to the birds that they might sing. And he satisfies the earth with the fruit of her labors. This is a house of joy. This is the theater of God's glory where his kindness, his goodness, his provision is seen and displayed for all the world to see. Even at the end of Job, when Job is sitting in darkness and despair, doesn't know what to think of all the calamities that have befallen him. And he begins uh, to, to make almost accusations, these these questions, asking the Lord why, why, why. The Lord comes and he confronts Job and he asks Job this. He says, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Who determined its measurements? Who stretched out the line? On what were its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone? This is architectural language. The Lord himself speaking of uh, the creation week as the massive construction, a work of beauty. And so we see here as well, Solomon saying here that the Lord laid the foundations of the earth and just like a ceiling, he established the heavens. Heavens and earth, it's a rhetorical device you'll see in Hebrew poetry. It's known as as a merism. So that when it says that the Lord created the heavens and the earth, it's not that the Lord created heaven and earth, but everything else was created by somebody else. Rather, it's you have the heavens, you have the earth, and everything in between is understood to be created by the Lord himself. In other words, the whole earth is full of God's glory. As the psalmist declares in Psalm 19, it exhibits the divine handiwork such that the psalmist can say, The creation shouts regarding the divine existence and power of God. Day and night, it pours forth speech. Man looks at the stars. He considers the mountains. He probes the ocean depths. And what he is to see is this, that this is the theater of God's glory. It is the visible stage wherein the invisible God displays the beauty of his divine artistry in such a way as Paul writes in Romans 1 it leaves man without excuse. God makes himself known through the beauty of creation. J. Gresham Machin, the founder of our denomination uh, a century ago, uh, wrote this really wonderful a little piece, Uh, and you think, here's a guy who is a professor of New Testament at Princeton University, Uh, here is a guy who has written all this stuff on uh, Paul and the first century, on uh, defending the virgin birth of Christ, and then he turns around and he writes an article on the joy of hiking through the mountains. Because one of his favorite things to do is to go hiking and to see the beauty of God's creation put on full display. That there's something wonderful about it. As so we consider God who made the worlds, He made heaven and earth. The question we have is how is it that He made the worlds? What did the Lord make use of? And Solomon, the emphasis we see here is that the Lord did all of this by wisdom. He did it according to skill. The Lord exhibits His wisdom in His creation and in His counsel. And all that He has created, even in His judgments, He exercises. We see here the the language here in verse 19, uh, that by His knowledge the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down dew. It's language we see both in the creation week and also the breaking open of the deeps uh, with the coming of the flood, as God judges the world in righteousness, not according to uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, some type of massive bribe by a lesser deity, not according to ignorance, but according to wisdom. All that the Lord does, all that he is, is wisdom. The Lord acts in accordance with wisdom, for he is wisdom itself. You know, we talk about us having to seek the wisdom of another as we learn a particular tool or trade. We do not think that about the Lord. It's not as though the Lord had to consult some higher being. Or that he had to go consult or participate in some kind of abstract notion called wisdom. The Lord does not accumulate knowledge. The Lord does not have to learn anything discursively like we do. The Lord simply knows For he is wisdom itself. This is what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 40. Who did the Lord consult to teach him understanding? Who has ever given him counsel? It's a question that Paul asks again in Romans chapter 11. Doesn't he? We would say the Lord is not simply wise. The Lord is wisdom itself. See, Solomon says even though even though Solomon says the Lord appropriated it by wisdom, we're not to think that wisdom is something separate from God. Uh, some type of heavenly muse, so to speak. Uh, the Lord possessed the earth by His own wisdom, for everything that is in God is God. He is His wisdom. The Lord is His own counselor, and He counsels all who look to Him. He is the source of all wisdom. Of course, the question is, what does this have to do with us? Solomon takes us in a direction we would not, I think, at first expect. But when we move and transition to verses 21 to 26, we start to notice something, that just as the Lord harnessed wisdom, as it were, in the ordering of the worlds, in this same manner, we are called to harness wisdom in the ordering of our lives. If you look here, beginning in verse 21, my son, do not lose sight of these. Keep wisdom, keep sound wisdom, and keep distra- discretion. You keep it and you guard it. I want you to notice how verses 21 and 20 to 26, they open and close on the language of keeping and guarding. Verse 21, my son, keep wisdom, and in so doing, verse 26, the Lord will keep you. You see the same thing in Jude, the end of Jude. I'll save that for when Jones teaches on that in a few weeks. We see that there. We see it in Psalm 21. Guard your heart. Keep wisdom. The Lord will keep you through wisdom. We considered, you know, in verse 19 uh, a few weeks ago, wisdom uh, is that 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 language is used wisdom as a tree of life. Adam was supposed to exercise wisdom by rejecting the evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and laying hold of the good. The tree of life, of course, Adam failed in his wise task. Well, here we're reminded that wisdom is life, but it promises not only life, but beauty. If you look at verse 22, it'll be life for your soul, right? It guides you on the proper path, but it also is an adornment for your neck. We might put it like this, wisdom beautifies your life. Wisdom promises beauty. Not physical beauty, but something much more lasting. Physical beauty fades, but the one who is wise has something much more enduring. I want mean, you to think about this. In Genesis chapter 1, I keep coming back to creation, always having that before us. What does the Lord do? He divides the waters, He separates the earth, the sky, and the sea, and He calls it good. The word there in Hebrew is tov, but it can also be translated as beautiful. I think in this case, I think it's a really good way to think of it. The Lord looks at the beauty of creation and says, this this is beautiful. This is good. This is good stuff. But I think what's really fascinating is how the rest of Old Testament revelation builds off of this. Because what does the Lord do as he separates the day and the night, the land and the sea, and so on and so forth? That word therefore, separate is the same root word we have to make holy. And so when the Lord speaks to the people of Israel, he begins to give them word pictures on how they are to live their lives. For instance, Leviticus chapter 19, the Lord will give these pictures, say, well, you should not sow two different types of seed in the same field. Rather, you should learn to distinguish the good from the evil. And then he goes in the very next breath and says, for that same reason, a man should not sleep with another man's wife. wife. What is the Lord doing? He's giving word pictures to his people saying, uh, the, the natural order, the beauty of the natural order, those proper distinctions of separating various things, that gives you, Israel, a word picture in the natural order, the very thing that you are to do in the moral order. Does that make sense? Just as, we, uh, as Israel is called to separate her life, and even some things we look at go, that's really weird. Why are they being taught this? Again, this is teaching the people. The Lord says this very explicitly in a number of cases. You read Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He says, I'm teaching you these things to separate these, to make these particular distinctions in the natural order. He says, I'm doing this to teach you to learn to distinguish the good from the evil. He's giving a word picture of what the beauty of holiness really looks like. And that's really what it is, right? This is why the psalmist will refer to the beauty of holiness, making those proper distinctions and stepping back and saying, this is beautiful. This is good. Just as God has given order to the natural world by wisdom, so he calls us to harness wisdom, to order our own inner life. In other words, we are to model ourselves according to divine wisdom, to use God's wisdom that he gives, that we might order ourselves alike. Note the analogy that Solomon draws here. Solomon does not say, just as God was really creative at the creation week, so also should you be bustling with creativity. That might be true in some cases, uh, but that's not the direction that Solomon goes here. Notice the the, the particular um, comparison that is being teased out in this passage. Just as God ordered the world's so also should you order your lives. How did God order the worlds? By wisdom. So how should you order your life? You should do it by wisdom. And it will be good. It will be beautiful. It will be like a necklace that adorns your neck. It'll be life for your soul. These are good things. This, what we have before us is not a lesson in art history. Here we have a lesson in morality. God calls us to establish our path by wisdom. You see it here in verse 23, let wisdom establish your steps, then your way will be secure. When you walk, when you lie down, again we have another merism. You will walk safely, you will sleep soundly, and everything else in between. Let wisdom order all of your life. Not just part of it, not just your, your, your family affairs, not just your finances, not just your work, not just uh, kind of religious worship. Let it order. Let wisdom order your whole life. Let wisdom beautify your life. Wisdom displays a life that is well-ordered. It provides security and rest. Wisdom, verses 21 to 23, provides these principles that will elicit goodness and beauty in the life, but it's not just an abstract principle. Verses 24 to 26, it is the Lord himself promises personal care to attend you every step of the way. He commands us not to fear sudden calamity. Why? Why? Not simply because you've mastered a certain set of principles, but because the Lord himself has promised to be your confidence. He promises to be at your side because if you harness wisdom, if you lay hold of wisdom, you are laying hold of the Lord himself who alone is most wise. For the Lord is wisdom itself. He is wisdom himself. And he will keep your foot from the snare. Keep wisdom And wisdom will keep you. The Lord who is wisdom, He will keep you. So we are called here not to try to live our lives on our own. To do so, to try to to make it through this life, to make it through this world, uh, on our own spontaneous ingenuity, as it were, is about as foolish as trying to build an airplane without ever seeing the instruction manual. Who would ever want to fly in that? I'll let you volunteer, but I would not do that. Like Mary, we must sit at Jesus' feet and learn wisdom from Him, what it means to live a well-ordered life. In his epistle, James writes this. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, we ask the Lord for wisdom. He's not going to scold us for not knowing any better. He's given it to us without reproach. He, he, he wants us to recognize how ignorant we are apart from his wisdom and his counsel. He beckons us to come to him, him who is the father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change, He will not give you one set of uh, counsel and instruction one day that will conflict with a new set of instructions the next day. The Lord is stable, just as he has established uh, the earth on firm foundations, so he will establish and order your lives if you lay hold of wisdom. Our Father in heaven promises to give us wisdom if we but ask, and he's given it to us through Christ, who has become for us wisdom from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. He gives it that we might imitate him in knowledge, righteousness, and the beauty of holiness. I think it's so fascinating that Paul, I believe this is in Ephesians, says this to let, maybe it's Colossians, I think it's Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and teaching and singing. Do you want to grow in holiness? The beauty of holiness. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, because it provides the Christ word provides wisdom, and it's given to us not only in instruction, but also in the singing of psalms, and hymns, and spiritual songs. I have a friend who is an ethics professor out in a, a college in the the Midwest, and uh, was, a couple years ago he made this just kind of a passing reference as we were. Uh, sitting together on his porch one night. And he says, what other ethical system today has singing as a basic component of wisdom? That's exactly what we see in the New Testament, isn't it? Let the word of Christ dwell with you in all teaching and all singing. What other ethical system has singing as a mandatory component of a life well-ordered? What is it that we find ourselves doing when we listen uh, to songs on the radio? We kind of bob our head and we might find ourselves with it kind of, you know, it's trapped in our ear. We can't get a certain song stuck out of our head. We might sing in the shower or tr- sing as we drive on our way to work. I'm not saying those are necessarily bad things, but we should we should get the psalm stuck in our head. We should get the psalm stuck in our ear. It's going to give a well-ordered life because it gives you the wisdom from on high. It teaches us how to pray and how to live. The hymns that we sing order our lives aright, as they are founded on the truth of Scripture. So let us imitate God and learn from Him that we might order our lives aright in accordance with the wisdom of His Word. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank You for Your Word this evening we thank you for the wisdom that you have displayed in the acts of creation and in your providence over all creation. Uh, we pray that we would imitate you uh, as we apprentice, as we are apprentices of our great master, that we would harness wisdom uh, in the ordering of our lives uh, to learn to distinguish what is good from what is evil uh, as we let Christ's word dwell in us richly. And all wisdom and all song. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.